0: Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's podcast, I just want to apologize that partway into the podcast, the audio quality uh, drops to a much lower level because despite my audio recording software saying that I was recording, it only recorded the first uh, about 20 minutes or so, and then it didn't keep recording after that point so technology doesn't always work how you hope it will so the audio quality goes down a bit partway through the podcast i apologize but uh, we still answer everybody's questions and i hope that uh, it's still valuable despite the slightly less enjoyable uh, audio quality so i hope you'll forgive us and as the chinese would say which means (laughs) please forgive us so thank you very much and uh, enjoy the podcast Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Today we have a number of emails to go through, comments on the course, comments in the Mandarin Blueprint community. So we're going to cover all of those today. But as a reminder, if you're new to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast, the main goal of this podcast is to help people out with their questions relating to Mandarin study. Now most of the people who will ask us questions are people who are following the Mandarin Blueprint method course curriculum that you can find at MandarinBlueprint.com and you know we answer questions via email, via comments in the actual video course platform because Mandarin Blueprint is a video course. It's a you know lesson by lesson. you have a video with a description and some downloads or some Google documents that associate with it, some smart flashcards and all that good stuff, where you can linearly follow a step-by-step process to learn Mandarin Chinese as quickly as possible. And you know in each lesson, people will leave comments, they'll send, uh, emails to contact at or you'll leave a question in the mandarin Blueprint community and so the weekly podcast is designed to answer all those questions because we are a uh, two-person team essentially here with luke and i and we do have some people helping us out but it's uh, mostly with things like video editing or helping us keep our website uh, technically running well since we're not uh, developers and things like that but When it comes to the content of people's questions about Chinese, it's just Luke and I answering. So the best way for us to aggregate all those questions and answer them in one place is to do a podcast. So that's what the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is all about. This week, we have some great questions that came in via email. And so we're going to jump right into those. And even if you're not a part of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, I bet you'll find a lot of these quite useful. So the first email today comes from... Uh, James Lemacher, and he said, thanks, Phil, I just signed up for lifetime access to the Mandarin Luger Method course. Lifetime access access is something that we don't really uh, advertise uh, too much publicly anymore. We just have an annual subscription and a monthly subscription, but if you're uh, up for spending $500, $499, you can get the lifetime access to the course, which essentially just means you'll have access to the course for forever, no matter how many iterations we make of it, whether it's... uh, We decide to turn it into an app or turn it into some other form than it is now. You'll still get full access to it. And, uh, you know, considering that we can guarantee fluency and literacy in Mandarin so long as you do it every day, uh, small price to pay. I paid a lot more for that to go to my uh, university course. But anyway, so continuing here, he says, "'I have been studying Mandarin on and off, more off than on, for a while now, "'but found that I was at a point where characters were absolutely going to be essential for me to move forward.' So when I started reading about Mandarin Blueprint, I was excited to learn that you developed your methods because you reached the same conclusion. I certainly hope it won't be a quote-unquote lifetime before I reached a useful level, but having an open-ended subscription makes me feel more comfortable, sure. Plus, I am pleased to be able to do uh, all I can to add my support for the work you have done to benefit all learners of Chinese best gym. So... Uh, Thanks so much, Jim, and I, you know, I think that everybody who studies Mandarin is going to eventually run into that realization. Whether you start not focusing on characters, like, for example, Luke focused a lot on pronunciation at the beginning, which, uh, you know, he still benefits to from this day. That's like, actually, the right thing to do is to focus first on pronunciation, but very quickly get into characters. I I started characters right away, just by luck. It was just that I had a, a roommate who was uh, learning Japanese and he said if you want to learn any East Asian language you got to do characters first, so just luckily had a roommate who knew that. But my point just being that everybody's going to run into that realization eventually. They're going to realize, oh, if I learn this language without the characters, I hit a ceiling quite quickly. And it's only natural because, you know, the language only has 420 syllables, so how are you going to learn the language purely by audio If you've got so many homophones, there's so many sounds that sound so similar. And if you know the characters, it's funny how your brain distinguishes them because you could see two characters or two words that have the exact same uh, tone and have the exact same pronunciation. But when you hear it in the different context because you know the characters, it doesn't even occur to you that they're the same. But when you're only counting on audio, you go, well, that's the same exact sound? And how am I supposed to know that? And it can be very frustrating. So everybody eventually comes to that conclusion. And so we were trying to, with Mandarin Blueprint, trying to be like, hey, come to that conclusion uh, right off the bat. <laughs> and Then that way you'll um, make sure that you don't end up taking too many wrong paths. So that was, uh, that was the um, question from James. Next, we have a very good email from Abigail. And she's been on the course for a while. She's taking it at a a relatively slower pace because she only has a little bit of time per day to spend on Anki and and the course itself. And she has some questions that came up regarding Anki and regarding a couple of articles that she read that she found on Reddit. And this is a very interesting set of questions and it's going to... This, this email is kind of long, so I'll go in and out, but it's really fascinating stuff. I bet this stuff will apply to a lot of people. Okay, so Abigail says, Hi Luke and Phil, you said before you want feedback on the Mandarin Blueprint Method, and I came across a really interesting article on one guy's frustrations in learning language using Anki this morning. The comments are worth reading too. It collates many people's experience of learning languages, and it made me reflect too. Encouragingly, he seems to have come to many of the same conclusions and methods that you have. Now, she um, leaves the links to these two articles. The one he called The Near Impossibility of Learning Languages, and the other he called uh, How I Use Anki to Learn Korean. Uh, So this is a guy named Danny Crichton. So the links to these articles are down below if you're interested. He does go into a lot of interesting stuff in these articles, um, but I'll, I'll leave the focus of this response to what Abigail's saying, and you guys, if you're interested in what he was saying, uh, check out those articles. But one of the main things I will say about these articles is that uh, he didn't have the Mandarin Blueprint method, so without the Mandarin, and I mean, he was also learning Korean, but he didn't have, like, the similar, the Korean Blueprint method that was kind of guiding him which way to go, so I guarantee you there are probably a lot of his flashcards that We're not the right flashcards to be focusing on, which can be discouraging. If you have too many flashcards in your Anki that are boring or unrelated to what you really need to learn, then it can be a bit frustrating. But Abigail also has some frustrating things that have come up with our flashcards, and that is really well worth addressing. So she says, Something else I've struggled with in Anki is synonyms. Maybe for some sentence cards, we need more than one gapped sentence to make it clearer which character slash word it is. I regularly Google the difference between certain characters and words and make a note of the rules. For example, 可是 and 但是, they both mean uh, B-U-T, but 再 and "yo," which is, uh, they both mean again, but the difference is that 再 is like again in the present or the uh, future, and "yo" is again in the past, so um, things like that. Zai and Zhu, which are present tense indicators, Hai and Ye, which both can mean also uh, or still, while well, Hai will mean still and they can mean also as well. Haiyo, and then see Ling and Zai, Tong and yiang, Ji Zhu and Jido, Mei and Tian Tian, Yidiar and Yisha, Yi Huar. Yang and Xiang. So she's basically pointing out these are similar types of words. Sometimes they have different contexts. In some of these cases, they're definitely used in different contexts. Some of these cases, they are uh, just pure synonyms. Some of these cases, they're slight differences. So she's sort of saying, okay, I want to understand these things, she says, I know you say not to worry too much about rules and that you pick up nuances while reading, etc., but it's frustrating if I always get the same card wrong just because I pick the synonym. So, here's what I would suggest at this. I thought about this because there are definitely, I'm sure that we could do a slightly better job of making it clearer uh, when one character is another character, but here's how you can do it yourself by adding something to the notes field in the Anki card. So... Especially vocab cards, but if you're gonna, if you want to add something, consider something like this. Okay, you have 可是 and 但是. Well, consider a sound mnemonic, right? So 可是 and 但是 are very similar. Uh, they the differences between them are minimal uh, in terms of their actual usage. But 但是 has the word dan in it, which is kind of like a name of a guy named Dan. So maybe you know somebody in your life named Dan. And so you could imagine that Dan being like, well, uh, you know, I was thinking this, but then this, and then you could kind of have that idea of that Dan that, you know, being involved in the flashcard in some way. So you can make a distinction between Dan sure and Ke Shi. And to be honest, if you have a flashcard and you guess that it's Ke but it's really Dan sure, you can just say that you got it right. Cause they're both the same in that particular case. Um, For other ones here, you know, figuring out, like, for example, zai and yo. Yeah, you can learn the rule, but you can also just see a bunch of sentences that have zai and yo, in it, and you will pick up on it after a while. Because something that's important to remember is the first several months, if not whole first year of learning Mandarin, it depends on how fast you're moving, and since you're taking it relatively slow, it's probably the full first year, you're not really going to start utilizing the language yet you're building up your passive vocabulary so it's okay to let something go for a little bit like it's a it's a natural instinct that we have to want to get to the bottom of the thing that we're learning in its totality but it's okay to just get a piece of it and then keep moving on and get other pieces and then you've built up your puzzle in such a way that the next time that you add a piece it suddenly reveals a lot more than you would think it would because you've been building up all these other pieces around and sure they might not be fully formed but that's okay it's not a big problem that they're not fully formed let's um continue here there are also some sentence cards where I think more than one character could fit but the result is different meanings now she she immediately brings up the one that I think is also yeah it's a little bit confusing and it's probably something we should improve which is the difference between lie and shoot because they just mean come and go so without It's actually kind of frustrating to make a flashcard with these particular uh, um, direction-based verbs because it's just a flashcard. You're not in space so you can see what's happening because everything with a direction-based verb is based on who's speaking and what direction things are coming from. So, like, if I'm speaking and something is coming, coming towards me, then I'll say, come here, or if I'm saying there's something over there, I'll say go there, but it's all based on the speaker's perspective. So, yeah, that does make for difficult flashcards. I will say this, though. When it's not direction-based, it's usually not a problem. Now, there are times when you can have synonyms where something else could totally fit, in which case, you want to add something to the flashcard, which sounds like you've already done. So you said, for example, lie and two come and go. I've resorted to putting in brackets, not to sure. Or, you could say... You could put in brackets. Uh, speaker is um, speaker is here, or speaker is there. That way, you can kind of naturally go, okay. Well, if the speaker is there, I need to go there, not come. If the speaker here, I need to come here, right? So that kind of uh, will is another way you could imagine it. Now let's uh, take a take a look at. Uh, some of these other ones here. In a recent call with Luke, he suggested adding pictures, but it's still unclear to me with characters like "lie" and "chu." Well, here's an example with "chu." You could have a green light because we know green light means go, and so it's like that kind of thing could happen. Um, you know, there's uh, there's other pictures you could imagine that would be directly related. Because so you might say "lie" and "chu." They don't seem like there's pictures you can make, but remember, you have a few different options. You have sound mnemonics that you can use. So. Um, I remember there was a. If I see Lai, there's, this is, and again, everything's going to be individual to the person, but there was a Chinese restaurant that I remember as a kid, so well before I was even considering moving to China, called Lai Lai Garden. And it just happens to be that's what it was called. And so I can remember that place pretty well. And so maybe I can. Associate that picture of that place. I could just go online and look up Lili Garden, and there there would come up a picture, and I could put that in my flashcard. So that would be one example. And uh, two, go green means go. Traffic light. You could get that going. Uh, so try to expand what it is that you consider are possible connections to the word itself. And it doesn't only have to be, it could be a sound mnemonic related to the Chinese. It could be a sound mnemonic related to the English definition. It could be an association like green means go, so put on a traffic light. It could be, you know, another association of somebody's name. Somebody is, uh, their, their last name was Cummings, and so you relate them to come, right? That's fine, too. So there's all sorts of possibilities there. So just, you know, my general suggestion would be, when you're looking for a picture, try to expand what the possible connections could be. Uh, Okay, so let's continue. Sometimes I copy and paste the sentence into Google Translate to test my own idea of which other characters could fit. Maybe this is a bad habit. I know Google Translate isn't reliable. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't dare say it's a a bad habit, but I would say that it's not exactly... um, that that particular way of going about it is not going to work a lot of times. Google Translate gets gets Chinese wrong a lot. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say – well, here's what I would say, though. I think that general in general reading this – and I know this is hard to do. But, like, in general, if you can back off a little bit and go, okay, if I don't totally get how this is going to – this sentence works – I probably will in the future. Because this this phenomenon has happened to me so many times. Especially when you get into reading lo- longer form texts. When you are able to go from one page to the next and read a full page of Chinese. You're going to run into stuff you don't understand. But then what happens is that you run into the same phenomenon again on the next page or a few pages later. And what that means is that if you had stopped... To look up what the thing meant and go, how exactly does this work? Let me look it up and figure it out. If you had stopped to do that, all that time that you were spending looking up the uh, sentence and the grammar rule was not time spent continuing to read. And if you had just continued to read, then you would have run into the same phenomenon again with different context around it. And then your brain will naturally go, okay, there was the first time I saw it, and this there was these are the sentences and context that was around it. And here's the second time I saw it with another set of context around it. And your brain is amazing at pattern recognizing and figuring things out that way. Oh, it must mean this. And so by continuing to read and like letting go of the fact that you didn't know and not minding that you didn't know, you ended up reading more content. And you, so you got an extra page of input. And then you ended up learning the original problem anyway, So, which was the better route to go? Well, it was definitely the route of not stopping and looking something up. And trust me, I get that it's hard to do that. You want to know. We're naturally curious. We're naturally like, why is it this way and why is it not that way? And I totally get it. But what I'm saying is that after all these years of, you know, spending time in that exact situation where you're like, well, wait a second. How, why is it like this here and why is it like that there? Especially with synonyms, you know, it's like, oh, why is it here? Why here is it sure, but here it's it's a natural uh inclination to want to do that. But here's an answer you can have to yourself. Well, you can just say, well, maybe I'll find out if I keep reading, and that and really it's I will find out if I keep reading because you will, it's it's in, inevitable. Maybe not today, but you will. So it's always kind of just like keep going because remember when you stop to look stuff up, you're not continuing okay so next Abigail says I can identify with the issue of Anki reviews taking up the bulk of my hours study time each day meaning I'm not learning anything new and feeling discouraged at not progressing Typically, I have 100 reviews per day, and by the time I've done my reviews, checked the difference between two similar characters and words, gone back into a lesson to check something, my hour is up, frowny face. Or sometimes, I can squeeze one or two new characters in, plus their accompanying props and words. Question, when you have a long dialogue... Okay, this question is unrelated to what she just said, so let me just finish, let me respond to that bit. So, if Anki is taking up your whole hour of the day, you have to add less new content to it per day. So, it is true that Anki can end up taking up a fair bit of time, but if you add fewer new cards to it, then it will start taking up less time. So, suppose today all you did was focus on Anki. Well, that means you didn't add any new content to it, which means that tomorrow there will be a few less cards to review, because you didn't add anything new, so by not adding anything new, you're not getting the You know, usually when you learn a new card, it comes up again the next day. So if you learn new cards, then your next day's reviews will be a bit higher than if you didn't learn new cards. So what you need to do is maybe for a few days, don't add anything new and just do Anki for that hour. And what will happen is Anki will stop taking a full hour. And then you add, few. when you start adding new cards again, you add as many as you can so that it doesn't put Anki... Over 45 minutes, you have 15 minutes to learn, uh, and by adding those new cards and you know doing the 45 minutes and then adding learning for the new 15 minutes, that will get into a cycle where it works. And you have to find the right balance. And so, generally, if th- that's just the general rule, you have to add fewer new cards per day if your Anki is taking up your entire study time. It should take up 50% to 75% of your study time is how Anki is. Okay, so continuing. Question, when you have a long dialogue on a sentence card, should you read the whole thing out loud each time? This can take a while, especially if there are lots of top-down words. Right, so I would say that you should mix it up. So reading out loud is good for your pronunciation, and it's good for sort of hearing how a native speaker speaks on a because we haven't got the audio in the flashcard, how they speak in a longer form. Because you hear a native speaker speak a character or speak a word, it's a little bit different than how it might sound in the context and the flow of a sentence. And so there's that. But you also want to practice reading fast, right? So that's a part of learning Chinese. So if you want to read quickly, then what you do is you read through the whole thing. And I would do this on the front of the card so the audio is not distracting you you read the front of the card and you get you guess the missing character or you you know usually you get it right and then you just try to read it as quickly as you can silently because that's a skill you want to have you want to have the skill of reading silently of course so that being the case if you mix it up between practicing reading silently and practicing uh speaking out loud then you know you'll find the right mix for how much time you have so you're on a really busy day okay practice reading silently and you'll get faster at reading which by the way is good practice for the hsk tests because you have to read quickly on the hsk tests. so you know you're going to need to do that so you might as well practice that as well it's not like one or the other is better because obviously if you read at the speed of the audio, then your reading will never get faster than the audio. But reading can be faster than audio, of course, as we all know. So, there's nothing wrong with reading silently and going through that way. She said, I liked this comment. This is a comment that was on the original article she shared. Hopefully it will motivate me to get through my flashcards faster rather than seeing them as the bulk of my study each day. She says, the comment says, but I never considered that quote-unquote learning Chinese was equal to quote-unquote doing flashcards. To me, doing flashcards doesn't count at all. I don't know why that person thinks that, but all right. It's like washing the dishes after cooking. Learning Chinese is something I do by reading books, talking, watching TV every day. Adding flashcards and repeating flashcards with an SRS uh, repetition system is just the best and most efficient way to remember those things that I learned. So she says this comment suggests another way of using Anki. Uh, and so let's let's go back to the original comment here. Uh, I consider doing flashcards to be learning Chinese because, you don't learn something fully the first time you see it. So, like, you can imagine you're going through the Mandarin Blueprint Method and you hit a new lesson. Well, that's the first time that you see something. And it's okay that you don't 100% acquire it the first time you see it because you've got Anki that will show it to you a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth time over a period of days or weeks. And by... So it's kind of like that is the learning process because to learn something properly and acquire it properly, you have to see it... 10 to 20 times, maybe sometimes even 30 times if it's a little bit harder for you. And so Anki automatically puts it into that system. So this idea of doing flashcards is not learning Chinese, but it's like washing the dishes. I don't know. I mean, I I get that it's reviewing something you already initially saw, and you always have to initially see it in the actual course. But that doesn't mean that you're not still learning when you're reviewing it. So I would say that... Um, that learning, doing the flashcards is still learning Chinese, um, but I do get the idea that the flashcards eventually should give way to a lot more reading, a lot more watching TV, a lot more you know, doing things that are in the realm of interacting with the language straight up, but that takes a while to get to, so the flashcards are your best way until you get there. Now there's another comment where she says, this comment suggests another way of using Anki, what do you think? This person says, "For my Chinese studies, I have a few thousand flashcards in another system, but working through them every day feels so dull, so dull that I also quit years ago. Now I restarted with Anki, but instead of entering words, I use audio snippets from an online podcast database and complement self-recorded English translation. So while driving my car to work... I can have Anki play my English audio to me, and then I can say the phrase in Chinese. If I want to, I can check the Chinese audio. I can also then replay the Chinese audio listening for the correct tones or take my time to play around with the words, forming different sentences. I mean, I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, it seems a bit labor-intensive, labor, inten- labor intensive. you know, you gotta, um... oh, sorry, there's another couple points to this uh, this comment. This person says, I found this much more engaging than studying only words, uh, way more efficient in improving my ability to form sentences, and more efficient in actually retaining the vocabulary. So this is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's like pure audio is definitely worth doing, and I like the idea of having the, you know, sort of English and Chinese together. It's kind of a sort of Pimsleur, Glossika esque way of doing uh, the spoken side of the language. And I think that that's all fine. Um, I certainly don't have any problem with that idea. It sounds labor intensive to build up though, you know, like, so you would have to go through a, um, you know, podcast and find the audio and, and put it together that way. But, you know, if that's the thing you want to do at some point, that's perfectly reasonable. I think that, you know, um, uh, this is obviously something that's somewhat, Relevant to this person because they're driving to work and they have that time in the car and they don't want to be reading their phone while they're uh, in the car, obviously. So that makes sense. And so I would say that um, that's an interesting idea and I would encourage you to try it if you want. I don't think that it's absolutely necessary and obviously it's not something that is uh, helping you too much with your reading, but when it comes to listening and speaking, I'm sure that that could be very helpful. So finally, uh, Abigail. Finishes by saying, but I'm still loving the course. Thank you so much for all you do. I still squirm with delight each time you address one of my questions in a podcast. Well, that's good. Delight squirming. It's much better than the other, like I'm in an airplane seat for a while and I'm squirming. You want the delight squirming. That's the, the best kind. Uh, so thanks, Abigail. And of course, we're always happy, likewise happy that you send in your comments and uh, we get a chance to discuss these ideas on the podcast because you submit your ideas as well. So thank you very much. Um, so, I love that. I love that email. It's very interesting stuff. Remember, there are a million different ways that you can iterate on learning Chinese, and the the Mandarin Blueberry method is like a um, it's like a structure and a a skeleton that's robust and has and there's a lot of meat on the skeleton as well. It's like we have a lot of sentences, we have a lot of longer form stories, we have a lot of audio, native audio, and there's a lot of great stuff. But on almost every level, you can iterate out into other ideas as well, whether it be this audio. Uh, idea that the person submitted, and you can make sure that you add in different pictures or elements from your life. There's so much iteration possible, and you just keep following the structure of the Mandarin Blueprint method. And sure, you can tangent off into this and that and these other things that work for you personally at any point. But I would still recommend keeping the structure in place, and then you're going to smash it as you go forward. Next, we have a submission from William Edmides in the Mandarin Blueprint Community Forum, where he says, hey everyone. Don't know if this makes any sense, but does anyone else feel that every time you read Chinese sentences, especially Anki reviews, it kind of feels like you're gaining XP, which I, re- I assume is a video game uh, reference, and then eventually leveling up your Chinese fluency? I say this because, to me, it feels that way every time a breakthrough moment happens, like the ones Luke and Phil keep talking about. Is it just me, or does anyone feel the same way? So it's like sort of, uh, he feels these breakthroughs after seeing enough... Sentences, and I can certainly say from my experience reading a lot of sentences in Anki and kind of getting that you know, here's a point, and I understood that sentence, point, another sentence, another point. And I've gained you know 500 points today from reading 500 sentences. It really does have that feeling of like this is healthy, I'm giving my brain what it needs to successfully pattern recognize and successfully build up my understanding of the language, and it's just such a great measurable way to do it when you're doing it in Anki, because you can look at your stats, you can see exactly where it went. And it's just, it's quite invigorating to realize, wow, I've done it, I've done this successful thing where I've read the sentence, added the next sentence, and I've just built and done this sort of repetitive, but also you know, even though it's repetitive in the nature of it, it's like I'm doing all these flashcards. Each sentence is different. Each sentence applies to a different aspect of life and where you might use it. And so it's all just like it's eating your vegetables, but they're tasty. So it's like, you know, it's like eating Chinese vegetables. Chinese, The Chinese do so, such a better job with vegetables than we do in the West in terms of preparing them. Um, and so I absolutely feel that way. I don't know if other people are feeling that way, but it's great to see that, William, that you're already feeling that way. Sentences are huge, and they—they you need to get as many of them as possible to properly acquire the vocab- vocabulary, but as long as you keep going, especially that foundational vocabulary, you're just going to keep solidifying it and keep making it stronger. And So keep it up. Do not stop that uh, situation of just adding more sentences. And speaking of, uh, just today, this morning, I got a message that all of the sentences related to the remaining 10 levels of the expansion that we haven't yet released are now... Uh, checked, I have to do one final check of them, but that means that very soon, well, I'd probably say in a couple of weeks, maybe maybe three weeks because I'm going away, I'm going home for Christmas for a week, but in a few weeks, we're going to have the next 10 levels of the expansion finished up through level 57, and we're going to have loads more sentences for you to build up that those XP points, so should be good uh, moving forward. Next, George Warner on the Community says, Hi there! This might be one for Luke and Phil, however you guys might know too. Just wondering if once I've completed the first 300 characters, I'll be ready to take the HSK 3 exam. I.e., are the first 300 characters on this course the same as the 300 required for the HSK 3 exam? Thanks a lot. So I answered George, but no, they're not. And the reason why is because uh, the HSK is not the best way to learn Chinese. (laughs) It's not the standard, especially for the early ones. So, I was thinking about this earlier. The HSK tests, the Mandarin Blueprint method is incredible for helping you pass the highest level HSK tests, but it's not so good for helping you pass the HSK 1, 2, and 3 if your goal is to pass them as soon as possible. So if you're like, I'm going to start learning Chinese today and is my goal to learn or to pass the HSKs 1, 2, or 3 as fast as possible, then the Mandarin Blueprint method probably wouldn't be the best for that because the HSKs 1, 2, and 3 have an two situations that we don't philosophically agree with. One is that there will be words that are too advanced that are in the HSKs 1, 2, and 3, and then there will be words that should be taught earlier that are in the HSK 4, 5, and 6. And so, we base that on our lexicon of billions of characters that we analyzed and the words in there, which is not just characters, it's also words as well, and their frequency numbers. So there are words that are high frequency but don't show up in the first three levels of the HSK. And then there are words that are in the HSK 1 through 3 that are very low frequency. And so it's one of those things where however they came up with their, their lists for the HSK 1, 2, and 3 must not have been enough based on frequency at least. You know, to some degree based on frequency because it has to be. But the point being that we don't want to just conform to this one test, which not everybody cares about. Like Some people care about passing the HSK, but many people who are learning Mandarin aren't, aren't worried about that. What they want to be able to do with Mandarin is actually be able to read it, actually be able to write it, actually be able to speak it, and understand it. So it's like that. that's not... For, we're, we care mostly about those people. Now, that said, the reason why we're good for the HSKs 4, 5, and 6 is that eventually uh, when you learn by actual frequency like you do in the Mandarin Blueprint method, eventually you catch up to the point where it's like, okay, not only have I learned everything through the HSKs 1 through 3, but because I've been actually learning properly, I already know a bunch of the stuff in the HSK 4, 5, and 6. So you end up in the situation where by the end of the intermediate course, which is the first 1,500 characters, you can for sure pass the HSK 4. I have no doubt in my mind that after you finish the the... the First fifty-seven levels of the Mandarin Blueprint method, you'll easily be able to pass the HSK four, and I suspect that you could probably pass the HSK five as well. Um, and I would even be more certain of that. So one of the first thing we're going to do when we go from one thousand five hundred thirty-one characters, which is our current iteration, all the way to three thousand, the first thing we're going to do is figure out in the HSK five what is what are the words that can be created with the characters you already know and we'll make an Ampi deck that's just designed for that. And so if you have the first 57 levels of the Mandarin Blueprint method plus that those extra characters, I am almost certain you'll be able to pass the HK5 as well. And so what that means is that even though you haven't reached that uh, threshold of um, three thousand characters yet you could pass the second highest level test. So as I say, if you're trying to pass the HK one, two and three then Maybe just buy the HSK 1, 2, and 3, practice test books and do it that way, but I would say ask yourself why you're doing it, because the HSKs 1, 2, and 3 are not going to shine on a resume that much. They're not, I mean, it's just not that impressive because they're the lowest three levels. The ones that are going to start to stick out are the HSKs 4, 5, and 6, and really probably just the 5 and 6. I took all three, 4, 5, and 6, I never took HSKs 1 through 3. Um, I took HSK's 4, 5, and 6 about a year apart from each other, sorry, I took them, I took the HSK 4, six months later took the HSK 5, six months later took the HSK 6, and, uh, passed all of them, and the, uh, that's where you're gonna get people turning their heads and going, oh wow, you passed the HSK 5, that's good, or the the HSK 6, wow, that's really good, and so, uh, I would say the HSKs one through three, if you feel like passing them, uh, I guess you can do it. But I would recommend following the Mandarin Luber method as it is, and don't worry too much about the uh, HSK levels until you get to the higher ones, which we'll totally cover. Okay. Next, we have uh, Daniel Leo Simpson. Hey everyone, say, I've done about 500 of the 2,000 lessons for the foundation course and want to go back and do the whole thing again just to really reinforce what I've learned and pick up on anything I've missed. Is there a way to reset my progress to zero? It's not a big deal if not, but I thought I'd ask, and thank you, Daniel. So there is a technical way to do this if anybody wants to do this in the future, but it's kind of laborious, which is that you would have to unclick the complete button. in the in, On every lesson, there's a mark as complete button, and after you click it, then it turns to complete. If you click it again, it goes back to incomplete, and you could do that, but um, it's not that easy to do, and there isn't one way to do it in one fell swoop. However, I wanted to talk a little bit about beginner's mind, which is essentially what Daniel is talking about here. So he's, he's saying he wants to go back, he wants to check his what he's done and if he missed anything, and that attitude is kind of an interesting attitude because, and I and I. I like it because it's the idea that, hey, you can always do something better if you do it again. And you can always get better if you go through things more than once. Now, uh, obviously, like, there's a part of me that goes, oh, I I wish that he uh, was able to just um, move on to the next, to just start at character 501 and keep going. And I bet that he'll be able to uh, catch up to, he'll be able to figure out what he was missing naturally. But... I do like the idea of, hey, start again, no problem, start again, I'll do it better this time. Like this sort of like, good attitude of like, oh, something has happened, like I, I didn't study for a while, and now I'm going to go back, good, I'll be better this time. And there's sort of that Jocko Willink, uh, no matter what happens, find the good in it type of uh, attitude, and I like that. Um, and so that's my only comment on that. It's just to say that I support the beginner's mind idea, always starting again, always starting from the perspective of like, okay, I'll do it again, and maybe you could complain about that and you could go, oh, I'm going to do this again. But no, Daniel's got the great attitude. He's like, I'll oh, find the stuff I missed. I'll be even better this time. And so I love that. Next, we have a question. I love this question from JA on new vocabulary unlocked. 关心. I'm curious about any insights you might have on this word. So means to care about something or someone, uh, to care about it in your heart. So like Wuhan sinni. Just a simple sentence. I very much care about you. Wuhan Guan That is a sentence that uh is grammatically correct, but he's asking about the definition of this word because of the two characters. So he says the first character, guan, means closed, locked up, shut down. These are the meanings that it has. And my native English speaking brain wants to associate the exact opposite meaning to guan "xin" means heart. So, he's saying, what do you mean, shut down my heart? How does that mean to care, right? Maybe there's some cultural perspective that makes connotation clear, or maybe there's an ancient, no longer used meaning for guan in this case. Not vital for continuing the Mandarin Blumen method, of course, just a personal fascination with etymology. So, here's what's cool about learning the language properly. That is to say, learning it by not focusing on grammar rules, but by focusing on knowing the characters, knowing the words and getting comprehensible input is that I know the answer to this question, but not because I've studied any kind of etymology, but because I can think of the character guan and what other words that it's in to get an idea of the sort of loop of meanings that surround the character. So guan can mean closed. like you, uh, A store closes at the end of the night, they'll say, guanmen, close door. Guan men, we've closed for the day as a business. And it can literally mean close the door. And so you say, okay, well, that seems like you're closing down something. And if you care about something, are you really closing down your heart? No, you're opening your heart because you care, right? And, um, but here's why I, it still means care. So another word that guan is in is guanxi. And guanxi means your relationship or your set of relationships. Now, a relationship and guanxi means closed system. Now, why would closed system mean relationship? Well, if you think about it, you don't tell everybody everything about your life. You don't say, like, you don't walk up to a stranger and say, like, hey, I've been really having a really hard time lately. I've been kind of depressed. And, you know, it would just be way too much information to give somebody who's not a part of the closed system. You're basically saying only some, this is an exclusive club, this system of people who are allowed to have a relationship with me, right? And so that idea of the closed system is actually the relationship. And it's like, okay, you can enter the system. But if you get into the system, you're, you're included in the club. You got, you got included in the exclusive club. So not everybody can get in. Otherwise the word loses all its meaning. And similarly, when you, when you guanxin someone, you're saying, you're one of the people who gets inside my heart, which isn't open to everyone. Right? It's open to the people who I care about. So you get to be in that closed system within my heart. And that's just one of the beautiful things about learning another language is that it just naturally causes you to think in a way that is not necessarily on the face of it obvious. Like, you could think of these things in English and surround the concepts of, like, well, what is a relationship really? Well, it's kind of a closed system of uh, people who are allowed to kind of... Um, interact with you, and what does it mean to, to care about somebody? Well, it's that they get to enter your heart, and that's a closed system of, of who gets to be involved. Like, maybe you open the door to it, but it's like, you're not, it's not everybody can just be involved. Well, yeah, you can think of that, but does it show it on the face of it like it does in Chinese? That's so glorious about learning this language, is you get to see concepts that you've thought about your entire life. You've thought about them for years and years, but you've never looked at them with this exact same lens or this exact same perspective that is literally right on the face of the characters. And that's what's so beautiful about uh, growing through the language and actually thinking about it based on the way that they present concepts. And that's so cool. It's one of the best things about Mandarin. So I hope that helps, Jay. Next, we have Tyson Hoffman on pick-a-prop-for-tsi. It's kind of related, this type of question. Phil gives many ideas for gas, but the previous video with Luke had tsi described as air. I know that it can mean both, but it's a bit of a misdirect, right? Well, it's kind of tough to say, right? Because if a character has more than one definition, then you know, because we say air and gas, and in English we'll make a distinction between those two concepts. But maybe Chinese doesn't make as much of a distinction between those two concepts. Maybe it sort of says, well, like, air and gas, they're kind of the same thing, so, you know, we'll just use the same character for both. And so sometimes English is more precise, sometimes Chinese is more precise, and makes dis- makes more distinctions than English does between different concepts. But it's not like the amount of distinctions you can make about something are... Uh, you know, universal, and everybody will make the exact same distinctions. You know, it's like uh, you could say that this type of glass is um, two inches thick, so it's, it's we'll give a name for two-inch thick glass, and then we'll give another name for 1.99-inch glass, and then another name for 1.98-inch glass. Well, we look at that and go, that's too many different words for such a small little distinction. But you can't say that the distinctions aren't real, you, there is a real distinction between a 1.99 inch gl- thick glass and one and two inch thick glass. There is technically a distinction there. So where different languages draw the distinctions is always going to change. And so that's why I don't think it's a misdirect because qi means both gas and air in Chinese. So they, instead of making that distinction there, and of course there's qi qi, qi, qi is the word that's a little bit more gas right? And 空气 is referring to the air like in the atmosphere. So by adding another character, you can make those distinctions, but the character itself kind of means both. So, uh, you know, that's just something that's worth uh, reckoning there is that it's not really a misdirect because where different languages draw distinctions is not universal. And that's another reason why learning another language helps you get better at thinking. Where does the category, where do you divide the category? Well, by learning another language, you get a whole other set of ideas about where you should do that. And it's not like one is right or the other is wrong, but by having both, you have a better set of tools to think about the world. Abigail on It's a Word for bay. What does zo mean in the sentence? Nature go, bejen to zhou la. Nature go, bejen to zhou so she's asking, what is the what's the purpose of do in this sentence? So let's break down the sentence. so that means that dog. So is the measure word for dogs or cats or you know, e uh, a hand, a single hand, e a single eye. It's one of those measure words for those types of things. So that individual dog, and then we have bai So. Bei is the passive marker in Chinese. Whenever you see be, it means like, in this case, was stolen by that guy. So like it's like the by in the by that guy. By a person. So nature, go, be rin, to zola. So that that dog by a person, to zola, to means to steal. And then she's asking, what's the zo And then the le in the final part of the sentence just means it's it's happened, it's a completed action. Right? Well, the zol is the resultive complement in for the verb to. So to is the verb meaning to steal, and the result is zola. It's gone. It's left. It's been. It's yeah. Left is the right way to think of it because to can mean to walk, but it can also mean to leave. So to is the verb with the result of leaving right? It seems redundant when you think about it in English, because we think steel means it's gone, but in Chinese, if you have this sentence structure that's like, uh, you know, be something, like a person, so 被人, if you're going to say to or da or whatever the verb is going to be at that point, you tend to add the result after it. So it was the verb plus the result. So it's possible well, if you're going to use be, it's going to be and told together. So, buy something, stolen, there's definitely going to be a result there. It's usually 走, 偷走了. zola. So, 小偷 means thief. 被小偷偷走了. So, it was stolen by the thief, right? Or 被人偷走了 is uh stolen by the person. So the zoo is just a result of compliment. It's kinda interesting how that works. You'll see the same thing with the ba uh the ba which is using the character ba to move an object in front of the verb, but if you move the object in front of the verb, like 我把杯子, ba So I took a uh, I took a glass, woo ba So sway means to shatter. So Da, with the result of Sui, which means to shatter. And that's kind of one of those things that the Ba which is more like an active thing to do. It's like, I took the glass and I shattered it. And I hit it with the result of shattering. And then Bei, which is more like a thing that passively happened, like Beizhen, Tozhou. It's not something you did, it's something you're describing that somebody else did. And the, the point is that the subject of the sentence, the dog, was the, uh, Victim of a, it was the passive victim of an event that happened, um, but either way, though the verb ends up having a result. I mean, that's kind of a, an interesting way to look at it. Okay, Abigail, another question. She says, um, "What does '一起来' add to the phrase '今天我们一起来看一下'? Can the phrase make sense without it?" So. Let's break down the sentence again. 今天, that's today. Woman, that's a subject, us. So, today, us. And then she's saying, why do we even need 一起来? Why can't we just say, 今天我们来看一下? Right? Why do we need 一起? And uh, we definitely will need the we'll lie, but like, why do we need 一起? Well, the difference is, so if I'm talking to you, uh, and I'm just talking about what me and some other people are doing, I'll say, i I'm not saying you and me, but if I'm talking to you and I say, i I'm including you now, I'm like together, because that's what 一起 means, it means together. So in the same way that you would say, let's go together in English, that will, um, it sort of applies here in Chinese. So if you just say, uh, we'll go look today, we'll go look today together. Or we'll go look together today. That is something that um, you can imagine the slight difference in English. So it's about inclusivity really, more than anything. Okay, so that uh, concludes the part of the podcast where we talk about the emails and miscellaneous questions that came in for this week. Let's talk about some course updates. So each week there's usually something that's upgraded or changed in the course. I already alluded to the fact that now that all of the sentences from levels 37 to 57 have been checked and gone over and made sure we have the same, the the right top-down words and the sentences are all uh, what are called which means like they're not broken sentences, they're good sentences and they're written by uh, all of our uh, Chinese graduate students that have been helping us out with these. We've checked all of them. So that means we just have to do the process of turning them into Anki cards and adding in the closed deletes and doing recording sessions. And the recording sessions are going to take a while because there's a lot of sentences, but then we'll have our native audio, we'll have our Anki cards. And once we have the Anki cards, that means that we can release the final 10 levels of the expansion. So this is huge news. It's great. And we're really excited about it. Um, And then as we've talked about before, we've been, because of the problem with PC users not being able to read the EPUB files we used for our longer form stories. Uh, We've been working on moving them over to Google Sheets. And so how this is going to work in phase four and phase five of the course is that you'll have a new story unlocked and we will still have the story in the actual Kajabi lesson in case you wanna stay in the lesson. Um, But what I will have a link to a shared Google slide and the Google slide's good because it allows you to make it full screen, get get your full attention. It has the top down words labeled in blue and it has the audio right on the slide, so you can stop and start the audio right there in that moment. Now, in order for the audio to work on the Google slide, you must be online. So if you're offline, there's a simple thing you can do, which is that in the actual lesson uh, on the Mandarin Blueprint method course platform, you can download the audio files. And the only reason that you would need to download the audio files is so that you can listen to them offline at some point. And Google Slides has a feature, if you just hit file while in Google Slides, it says make available offline. Now unfortunately, make available offline doesn't let the audio work offline, but that's why you can download the audio files from the actual course platform. That said though, I'd recommend just using it online and then you can have the audio directly in the slide like that. And so I am later today going to continue on uh, finishing those up for phase four. Uh, In phase five, we're moving some of the uh, stories around a little bit, but that's all going well and getting ready to go. We're going to change it so that it's a 90% comprehension level and a 98% comprehension level. And there's another thing that's worth thinking about with the phases four, five, and six of the course, which is that the ideal amount of uh, reading, like comprehension, when you're reading is 98%. That's what's called extensive reading. It means that You understand so much of what you're reading that the context covers the other 2%, right? So even though there's 2% of it that you may not comprehend because you haven't learned the words or whatever, the context is usually enough for you to get it. So you want to get to that 98% comprehension level. In phase four of the course, it's almost impossible to reach 98% comprehension and have a story that is doesn't sound like a three-year-old wrote it because it's like, it's kind of, you don't have enough vocabulary quite yet to get to 98%. You can usually get to like 85%, 90%. But the way that we deal with that problem is by making sure that we introduce all of the individual sentences that are in the paragraph that come up in phase four before you get to the paragraph. So for sure, if you get to the paragraph, you've seen all the sentences already. So that's our way of dealing with it in phase four. Now in phase five, we start to go, Go. okay, we're going to show you two versions of this story. We're going to show it to you when you reach 90, 90% comprehension. And again, we're going to introduce all the sentences beforehand, so when you see it, none of it's brand new. And then we're going to show it to you again when you reach 98%. So, for example, uh, Cao Tong weighs the elephant is one of the stories we teach. And paragraph one uh, unlocks at 90% comprehension after level 34, and then 98% comprehension after level 48. So, we'll tell you each time when you reach 90 and 98%. But still, in phase five, those stories are going to unlock when you've already seen all the sentences in your Anki cards. Now, phase six, when we add in the hundred or so stories that our graduate students have written there, which we're still analyzing and still not in the course yet, but those, we're not going to give you the sentences beforehand, but we're also not going to uh, show them to you until you're already at 98%. And this is very much like real life, because it's not like when you read an article in the New York Times, and the Chinese version of the New York Times, that you're going to have read all the sentences before you reach the article. But when you know enough Chinese, you might know 98% of it. And that's how it works. Like, that's how you want to actually interact with the Chinese. So when we get into phase six of the course and the the intermediate uh, course, when you have a new story unlock, it's going to unlock at 98% specifically. And so that's going to be great for you. So it's like a phase four, phase five, phase six. You keep improving to the point where you just see something brand new, but you're seeing it when you have 98% understanding. Next, we're going to get into the movie scene shares that came in this week. And we have another one from Abigail, which is uh, delightful. And this is a really great one because uh, she did a movie scene that actually covers the two main keywords for this character. So the character is chang, which means uh, long. It's an adjective meaning long. But it can also be pronounced z h a Z-H-A-N-G, third tone, or C-H-A-N-G, second tone. So C-H-A-N-G, second tone is long, and then zhang, 掌, third tone, means to grow or to mature. And so like, for example, 掌鬍子 means to grow out your beard, or 掌頭髮, I can't do that, but it means to grow out your hair. And uh, so the idea here is that she is doing an advanced technique with this one to imagine two things happening in her scene so that she can have both definitions of the character uh, covered. Now, just as a caveat, You usually do not have to do this, and the reason you don't have to do this is because very few characters have two uh, pronunciations and meanings that are so common. You know, to grow and long are both really common uh, usages, but usually if a character has a secondary or tertiary usage, it's not nearly as common as the primary usage, and so you don't need to worry about it when you're still in the early days of your study. But in this case, Abigail's going to use a technique where she brings, so let's think about it logically, if the character is second tone, that means it's in the A-N-G set, and the other character, or the other pronunciation, is still A-N-G, so the one will take place in the kitchen or inside the entrance of your A-N-G set, and the other will take place in the bedroom or living room of your ANG set, and so we'll have two different actors because we'll have the CH actor and the ZH actor. But otherwise, we're in the same set, and we have the same props, obviously, because the character is exactly the same. So it's kind of interesting how we're going to go from here. So let's see what happens. She says, "I have two parts in my movie scene. The first part is Chang, and the second is for Zhang. Her actors are CH is somebody she knows named Chad, and ZH C-H is Giovanni." Their set is the hair salon. So her hairdresser uh, was called Angela, and that's how she came up with the uh, scene. The, the hair salon is her set, and the first scene takes place in the reception area. The second uh, scene takes place in the main salon. So this is good, yeah, I love this. You know, by the way, it's amazing how incredible um, mnemonic visualization is because even though I've obviously never seen Abigail's salon, I'm sure that I've never been there, Uh, I immediately, without even thinking about it, started imagining this salon that my mom used to take me to when she would get her hair done uh, when I was a kid and I would wait in the waiting room for her and see her in the main salon. I just started thinking about that automatically. So isn't that kind of cool, how like mnemonic visualization, it just happens. It doesn't doesn't even take too much effort. Anyway, so let's get into the scene. Chad is very proud of his long hair. So he wants to make sure the hair salon won't make a mess of it. But as he tries to make an appointment in the reception, he sees people ice skating on the ceiling. Nice, (laughs) that's one of the props. He tries to back out, but they're pulling him back with a hook, like the lonely gothard scene from The Sound of Music. Oh, okay, oh yeah, yeah. is it goat, Goat Herd? Yeah, the lonely Goat Herd scene from The Sound of Music. Luckily, he has a sonic screwdriver and manages to free himself and runs away as fast as he can. Great, so it's got all the three uh, props in it, and he's the focus is on long hair. which is a great keyword connection. I mean, like the difference between long and short hair is like such a, especially when go, a guy has long hair, it's like a feature of uh, the guy that you tend to notice. Chad spots. So let's continue on to the second part of the scene. Chad spots Giovanni in the salon, and an amazed is amazed at how much his hair has grown. Oh, I love it because it's like. Long hair and hair growing. You've got the connection to the two meanings of the character. So Chad spots Giovanni in the salon is amazed how much his hair has grown, so he decides to trust them and walks back in to make an appointment. So, yes, yeah, so this is this is a great scene. You only need the props for one bit of it because the two rooms are connected. You've got Chad and Giovanni to represent the two uh, different initials that this has, and they're in the different rooms to represent the two different tones that it has, and we're talking about length and growth, so you got the two meanings of it. Excellent. This is fantastic stuff, and so uh, well done, Abigail, and that's going to be a very helpful scene to a lot of people moving forward, I'm sure. Next we have Derek Huang on Make a Movie for Zhan. Had Jackie Chan in the bathroom of, in my house occupying the washroom, uh, stirring the mouth of the toilet and its contents with a massive magic wand or stick, right? Great. So uh, the character Jen means occupy, and so Jackie Chan, sure, is in the washroom because fourth tone. Stirring the mouth of the toilet, right, the mouth of the toilet. So what I would do here, uh, so the mass, massive magic wand and stick is the upper component, and the mouth of the toilet is the lower component, and the toilet is in the bathroom anyway, so the way you make mouth clearer is just make sure that when you're saying the mouth of the toilet that it's like as if <laughs> the mouth of the toilet was actually a human mouth of some sort or the rolling stone's mouth or whatever it is but it's just in, instead of looking down into a toilet as it, it's just a big old open mouth gross i know but then again gross is <laughs> part of what makes uh, a good scene sometimes excellent stuff jeffrey herzog on make a movie for home so early in the course this is a great memory i already have uh, that is standing in my godmom's Rebecca Strong's kitchen, and water is pouring through the wall. So, Rebecca Strong, it must be his godmom's name, and Ong is O-N-G in her last name, and is also Tong, so the O-N-G in Tong. So, I get that. And uh, kitchen for second tone. I'm trying to find out where it's coming from. In my scene, Jesus Christ took okay, this, so Christ is the representation of C. Jesus Christ is standing in the kitchen and water is spraying from the kitchen wall. He puts up an umbrella when all of a sudden another hole opens and more water comes out so he opens another umbrella, the whole time searching for where the water is coming from. Is this a good scene? Yes, that is a very good scene, Jeffrey, and here's why. because. Every element is interacting in the scene and has a point. It connects to an actual memory you have. Now it's possible you would get confused by the water coming in, except that the water, the reason it's there is because of your actual memory. So you, it's possible in the future you'd think, is the water a prop? Is the water something to do with the prop? But I don't think so, because one, the idea of where something coming from, that is a uh, definite connection that anybody might have. That when water is suddenly coming into a place it's not supposed to be, the first thing you're gonna think is, where is it coming from? So actually, the water being in the scene relates to the meaning, and it also relates to an actual memory you have. So, fantastic. And the fact that the umbrellas are doing what they're supposed to do, block water, that's what umbrellas do, makes your usage of the props likely to be very memorable. It's always important to remember that with a prop, it's a tool, right? Props are objects, and objects, as far as human beings are are concerned, they serve a tool function, otherwise we don't pay attention to them. So, like, if there's no function to the particular object, your brain naturally kind of filters it out in terms of its memory. But when it comes to if there's actually a tool, we'll remember it quite well. So, that's a great scene. Next, we have Kika Bisagno. And Kika left a couple of uh, comments here. Make a movie for Jen. I just bought my boyfriend, so that's the... EN, a new pruning knife, and now his roommate Robert Downey Jr. wants one too. So we've got Robert Downey Jr. representing the R, and I'm assuming that the boyfriend, which is representative of the EN in gen, you're talking about your boyfriend's apartment or house or whatever. And the pruning knife is the left side uh, component. Everyone knows he's not a responsible person, so I begged him never to leave it in the kitchen unattended, and asked him to cover the blade with banana peels as an extra safety measure, so the banana peels are, of course, the right side component. Uh, great, I love it. Got both the both the props in there. We have all the connections that we need. So if if you're getting uh, a scene that good this early on in the course, Kika, you're doing well. Another one from Kika on tone. So this is just like the one from before with uh, uh, Jeffrey's question or submission. So here's Kika on her make a movie, his or her make a movie for Tong. I guess Herb, let's see here. I was walking along the clubhouse cafeteria when, all of a sudden, Confucius appeared out of nowhere, riding a wild horse. Love it. (laughs) What the hell are you doing? You almost ran over me, I screamed. I come from the stables. Somebody spiked my two spurs, and now this horse is out of control. Help, he replied. Uh, So I guess she chose to do spurs as her representation of the props here, which is fine. Uh, And so, uh, the the coming from the stables isn't necessarily super clear. There's a lot of audio in this scene, so it might not be memorable moving forward. But I like the hilarity of this scene. Like it just just riding in out of nowhere, and the idea, of course, that they're on the ho- the horse relates to the two spurs. So I get that. It's uh, just the concern is that. Audio being the representation of the meaning is tough. It's tougher to remember that. So I come from the stables. Yes, that's true. That's where you came from, and I get it. Uh, But I think that might be a little bit tough to remember in the long run. So if you can find a way to get the um, representation of from to, to be a little bit clearer. Like, for example, he comes down... And, of course, the horse is out of control, so maybe he gets kicked off and the horse is still going out of control with the uh, spi- uh, spurs in the background. And, but then Confucius shows you on a map, like, it's like here, and then here, like a, pic- a picture of stables, and it's like, I came from here showing you what I came from that particular spot. That might make it a little bit clearer, because at the moment the only thing indicating the meaning is an audio thing where he says I come from the stables might not be as memorable in the long run. Okay, so that's our movie scene shares for this week. Next, let's have some props, and then we'll finish up for today. Makai Alpert on Pick a Prop for Yen. J.D. Salinger, the, I believe J.D. Salinger wrote Catcher in the Rye. Am I getting that correct? If I'm wrong about that, then a bunch of people are going to be mad. I think it was Catcher in the Rye. Um, so, sure, that's an easy enough one, because Yen is related to uh, words or speech. William Edmides on Pick a Prop. This doesn't have a pronunciation on its own, but it kind of means like elastic or stretchy. Uh, So, his uh, answer here is, uh, or his suggestion is Mr. Fantastic from Fantastic Four or Elastigirl from The Incredibles. Sure, absolutely. They both have that incredible feature of being able to be quite elastic. He also suggests a trampoline could be another option uh, as they also stretch, so totally. Uh, On pick a prop for Lin, which means forest or woods. Winnie the Pooh, because of 100 Acre Woods, and that's all we're going to say about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> William and is on Pick and prop for Way, going with the idea of a teenager, because way means not yet. So uh, the specific thing, I like how William's getting so good at this, because it's not just a teenager in general. He goes, I'm picking Ferris Bueller, because Ferris Bueller's Day Off is your classic teenager movie. Love it. So excellent stuff this week. As always, mandarinblueprint.com to learn more about the Mandarin Blueprint method and how we learn Chinese faster than any other way on the internet. Also, if you have any questions or want to submit your question for the podcast, you can hit us up at podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.